Would you have left it in, or would you have taken it out? If you were telling the story about yourself, would you have left that part of the story in, or would you have taken it out like Peter did? That's the question I believe God wants us to reflect on this morning. And he wants us to reflect on it honestly. Let me now help you to understand the question more completely. The story we just heard in our Gospel reading is one of the best known in the New Testament. Jesus says to his twelve apostles at Caesarea Philippi, Who do you say that I am? You've just told me who everybody else says that I am. You've just told me what the current polling data is concerning me and my identity. But what about you? What do you gentlemen have to say? Where do you stand on the matter? If someone said to you, who is Jesus of Nazareth? How would you answer? Well, Peter immediately gives the response that every Christian echoes in his or her heart. You are the Christ. Now here it's important for us to remember that Christ was not Jesus' last name. I dealt with this subject several months ago in a homily I gave. The word Christ is from the Greek word Christos, which means anointed. It translates the Hebrew word for Messiah. So Peter was actually saying, Jesus, I say you are the Messiah. You are the anointed one of God. You are the one that we've been waiting for, for centuries. Then Jesus begins to tell Peter and the other apostles what kind of Messiah he will be, which was definitely not the kind of Messiah they were expecting. The Jews had the idea that their Messiah would be a great earthly king, a great ruler, a great warrior, like King David in the past. They had the idea that the Messiah would bring back the glory days of Israel by restoring the nation to its former greatness. They thought the Messiah was coming to establish an earthly kingdom for one little nation. Well, you know, given the way that kingdoms and empires come and go, I think that was a pretty small expectation. But it's the one they had. Jesus indicates to them that he's come not just to save Israel, he's come to save the whole world by offering his life in sacrifice for sin. All sin. He indicates, in other words, that the true mission of the Messiah is to establish a kingdom for all people that will never end. But only his death, and eventual resurrection, will be able to establish that kind of kingdom. That's the idea he tries to get across to his disciples in this scene. And so, as the text says, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer greatly and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and rise after three days. To which Peter responds, Jesus, this does not compute. Or as St. Mark puts it, then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. 
He said to him, look, no way, Jesus, this can't happen to you. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the son of David, who's going to rise to power and assume your throne and get rid of these Romans who are persecuting us and oppressing us. And you're going to make us the number one nation again in the world. Well, at that moment, Jesus turns on Peter, the man he would someday make the leader of his church, and says, get behind me, Satan. Why Satan? It's because at that precise moment, without realizing it, Peter was saying to Jesus exactly what Satan would have wanted him to say. Satan knew the truth. He knew that without the cross, there would be no resurrection and consequently no salvation for you and me and the entire human race. He knew that without the death of Jesus, we could not be forgiven for our sins. He knew that without the death of Jesus, we could not be reconciled to God, our Heavenly Father. So he used the words of Peter at Caesarea Philippi to try to tempt Jesus to give up his mission of dying on the cross to save the world. Which, by the way, was also what Satan had tried to do at the very beginning of our Lord's ministry with those three temptations in the desert. Those temptations were all attempts to get Jesus to avoid the cross. Well, thankfully, Jesus resisted at Caesarea Philippi as he had resisted earlier in the desert. And that's pretty much where the story ends in St. Mark's Gospel. Of course, since all of you are highly intelligent and well-informed readers of the Bible, I know exactly what you're thinking right now. Each of you is thinking, but Father Ray, there's something missing here. There's part of the story that for some reason, St. Mark left out. To which I say, O oh, wise one, you are absolutely correct. And here are the missing lines, which are preserved for us in St. Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew's account of the very same event. They come immediately after Peter confesses Jesus as the Messiah, but before the Lord begins to speak about his suffering. Matthew writes, Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said in reply, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him in reply, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And so I say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. I will give you, Peter, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That section of the story in which Peter is praised for his insight and given universal authority in the church and made, in effect, the very first pope, that section of the story, which makes Peter look really good, is completely eliminated from Mark's account. 
Was that a coincidence? Did Mark forget that part of the story? Did Mark dislike Peter and want to make him look bad? I would say no, no, and no. No, it was not a coincidence. No, Mark didn't forget that part of the story. And no, Mark did not dislike Peter, nor did he want to make him look bad. The two men were very close friends. I believe, and so do many others, that this was all Peter's doing. He, believe it or not, is the one responsible for the omission. You see, many scripture scholars are convinced that St. Mark was Peter's scribe, which means that the gospel which bears Mark's name is actually the gospel that St. Peter preached in Rome. He either dictated it directly to Mark, or he had Mark follow him around and take notes while he preached. So apparently, this is the way Peter himself told the story, or at least it's the way he wanted the story to be told. Now you might say, but Father Ray, that doesn't make any sense. Why would St. Peter leave out that part, the one part that makes him look really, really good? And I would respond, that's precisely the reason he left it out. Peter was humble, more humble than we may realize, an extremely humble man who wanted the focus to be always on Jesus Christ and not on himself. So in all likelihood, Peter either didn't mention this part of the story when he preached about the event, Consequently, Mark never wrote it down in the first place, or Mark did write it down when he took notes, but Peter had him remove it from the final version of the text. Which brings us back now to the question I threw out at the very beginning of my homily. Would you have left it in? Or would you have taken it out? If you were telling this story about yourself, would you have left that particular part of the story in, the part that made you look really great? Or would you have removed it, like Peter did? We live in a world right now where many, many people are filled with pride. It's the most deadly of the seven deadly sins. People today long for their 15 minutes of fame. They want people to tell them how great they are, how intelligent they are, how talented they are. They want to be noticed, even if they have to compromise their morals or engage in perverse activities to get others to notice them. That's okay in their minds. Just think of what goes on in these so-called reality TV shows. Politicians and other public figures are obsessed, I mean literally obsessed, with their legacies and their egos. They're more concerned with those things than they are with governing. On that note, 
I heard about a national politician the other day, I won't mention names, who attended a fundraiser recently with several NBA stars present. And during that event he said, and here I quote, it is very rare that I come to an event where I'm like the fifth or sixth most interesting person. Gag me with a spoon. Talk about pride. Somehow I don't think St. Peter ever said anything like that about himself. He was much too humble. That politician needs to remember these words of Jesus, as we all do. Words that St. Peter obviously lived by. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted.